This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Today we're going to tackle dress codes. We know this is a topic that is on a lot of minds with the beginning of school, and we invited two very special guests to discuss this with us, my son Griffin and best daughter Jane. And then after our discussion with them, we're going to deep dive into the topic between the two of us. And and last but certainly not least, we're going to talk about the celebrity drama that has kept the internet abuzz, the cast of Don't Worry Darling and the chaos they caused at the Venice Film Festival. But before we get to that, you may have heard by now that right as we were about to push publish on this episode, we all learned of the death of Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch. The internet is going to be filled for a couple of days with a lot of takes, some of which are terrible takes, and a lot mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. well-deserved montages that have critical elements as well as celebratory elements. We want to spend some time thinking about this because... Queen Elizabeth lived through a lot of change. And when you start to think about what it means to have lived through that much change and to know that your death will prompt a tremendous amount of change, mm-hmm. we just need to some time with that. So for today, we want to say that this is a person who led a remarkable life. There are many, many pieces to thinking through what her life represents. We will do that in time. We celebrate a life long lived though may we all get to 96 and die surrounded by people who love us and may her family feel comfort in this time and all of you especially those of you listening in the UK may you feel um the the warmth of our affection as you process this loss and listen the end of a 7 decade long reign is not a quick process So we are going to have time. This is a long process between um, the transfer of power to her son, who we learned today will be King Charles III, both her funeral and his coronation. There's There's going to be a lot of pomp and circumstances and time to think about all this. So we will give this the time it deserves and discuss it on a later episode. But for now, here is our conversation with Griffin and Jane about dress codes. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. 
It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are thrilled to welcome to Pantsuit Politics today two very special guests, Griffin Holland, my oldest son. You want to say hi? Yeah, I'm I'm here. <laughs> Jane Silvers, best oldest child. Jane, you want to say hi? Hi. We invited you two here today because you have both expressed frustration and concerns about your individual school dress codes. This is something happening across the country when I Google dress codes. Like, it's so interesting to see, watch the local news stories that pop up from almost every state. And so we thought we'd come here and talk about that. Jane, do you want to start and tell us about your school dress code and and whether you've been dress coded and just sort of your individual interactions with it? So I have not been dress coded, but our school dress code is girls and boys are not allowed to wear tank tops and we have to have shorts that are three and a half exactly inches long in seams in seams and you have been mad about this since the moment you learned about it you want to share why i think it's ridiculous that they are not allowing us to wear tank tops because it gets really hot on field days especially Mm -hmm. so we should be able to wear a tank top outside if we're like running. Totally. Now, Griffin, you in was it sixth grade or last it's, year? Uh, seventh grade. Seventh grade. You made took your concerns to the dress code sort of public. You had a petition that how many people ended up signing? I haven't checked. I haven't checked it in a long time because I don't know. I think it was around like. 650. It was a lot of people. And, I'm and then we went to the SBDM. Yes, we went to an SBDM meeting and brought up our concerns. And tell, tell them what your concerns were. My concerns were that, one, I think that 
the dress code is at least enforced a lot more towards women uh, versus towards men just because of certain some of the rules are just very clearly for women like I don't know the I don't I wouldn't say all of them but I'd say most of them like the knees and the short length and all that stuff mm-hmm. that's no one no one thinks that that's for men and if they say that they do they're lying mm-hmm. at least that's where I that's where I stand on it and the other concern is that even if it was enforced equally between women and men, it's still we're it's still pretty harsh. Like you can't have holes in your jeans, period, which seems kind of ridiculous, especially for like fall. Because I don't want to wear just jeans because it's still kind of hot, but I don't want to wear just shorts because it's still kind of cold. You got dress coded for holes in your jeans one time, uh, right? Once, but I don't count that because I just don't think the teacher liked me all that much. <laughs> I think that's often the concern with the dress code, right, is sometimes it's just a tool for at least the students feel that it's just a tool of sort of control. It really isn't about the quote-unquote dress code, but more about the relationship between the student and the teacher. Do you feel like, what do you feel like the purpose of the dress code is? Or at least what do you think, what's the articulated reason that the school has the dress code? When you say articulated, you mean like what's the stated reason or the the actual reason? Well, you can tell us if you think they're different. I think the stated reason is to like, oh, make make an orderly school environment or whatever that, whatever that means, an, a, maintain an orderly stu, student environment. Mm-hmm. But I think the actual reason is just sort of a means of control. So I, I wouldn't say it's like, literally a means of control, but it's used as one. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jane? What have they told you is the the purpose, especially of the shorts rule? Because I know you've had a lot of communication about the shorts rule. The purpose is not to distract people from learning. And I don't really see how bodies are distracting to people. Yeah, that whole thing about distracting to learning really feels like we're I mean, not explicitly victim-blaming, but we're, like, getting mad at people for being looked at, which seems really dumb and also sexist on both parts because it, one, assumes that men can't do work when any woman is present and, like, wearing shorts, and it also assumes that women are, when they wear shorts, are immediately trying to get attention from men, which are both not always the case and usually not the case. What do you think, Jane? I definitely agree with that. Yeah, we've been talking about how even if there were uniforms for everybody, kids would be distracted by and attracted to each other. That's just the nature of being a person. Well, yeah, that too. I just don't I just mean like I don't think shorts are influencing influencing that even a little bit. Can I be the devil's advocate here? I can hear the teachers in our in our ears and in our inboxes. You know, I I think some of this is generational. Without a doubt, shorts have gotten shorter and shorter and shorter over the course of the last several years, whereas, you know, shorts, there were still short shorts when I was young, but they've gotten shorter. Now, I think that brings up an issue that I'd like to hear Jane talk about, which is, can you actually go out and buy shorts for an 11-year-old girl with a three and a half inch inseam? Like, it's not like the girls themselves are designing the shorts. It's adults out there making Shorts for 11-year-olds with half-inch inseams. Yeah, you want to talk about We had a really hard time finding shorts for school for you. 
Yeah, you like can't find any shorts that are exactly or longer than three and a half inches because that's just the way people make clothes now. They don't make it to be appropriate for the school dress code because like there's all these social media platforms that are showing people wearing like shorter clothes like crop tops and short shorts. So people are starting to make that because they get more money for it. And Mm. now there's like only those and we can't find any that are longer. I think that raises an interesting question I'd like to hear y'all answer, which is, do you think the dress code should be for how kids dress or how adults think kids should dress? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, are we just are we dealing with how kids actually dress and trying to put perimeters around that? Are we trying to set a higher standard for how we think they should dress? Do you mean or a different, maybe not higher, different standard? Do you mean is the dress code to? I'm sorry, I'm very prescribe or describe. Is it trying? I'm very, I'm very sorry. That's not. Is the dress code trying to push people to dress in a certain way, or is it just trying to deal with the way they already dress? I think it's trying to deal with the way they already dress. I think that's what you're advocating, but I don't think that's what they're written for. Does that make sense? I guess, but one of the rules at our school is no sagging because they had a huge, because that is like the teachers got so mad when kids were like sagging, which whatever. What do you think, Jane? Which should they be? Well, can I ask this a spin on that question? What do you think the school environment ought to be like? Like, do you think there should be a dress code for teachers? And and if so, how should that vary from teachers to students? Should there be a distinction or should everybody be kind of dressing a certain way to be at school? I feel like everybody should be. If students have a dress code, teachers should also have the same dress code. Because if you're going to push it that far to saying it's a distraction for people learning, wouldn't students be distracted by the teachers wearing certain clothes? What I mean more, though, is is do you expect your teachers to dress more professionally than students, or do you think everybody ought to be kind of in the same parameters? Everybody be in the same parameters. Yeah, like should teachers have like not be allowed to wear jeans or tennis shoes? Is that distracting? Does that contribute to an orderly environment? Teachers should be allowed to wear whatever clothes are comfortable. They're already dealing with a bunch of middle schoolers. Seems fair. Seems mm-hmm. fair. So, well, then the I think some of the other issues is like, well, how comfortable? Because I think there's the gendered aspect of the dress code, which I think is definitely the main area of complaint. But there are some other issues. There's the issue of if you're talking about comfort, like should be able should people be able to come to school in their pajamas? They're comfortable. I mean, yeah, people should be if they're learning, they should. That's already a bunch of stress that comes from middle school. So they should be able to wear, like, comfortable clothes, like PJs or sweatpants or a sweatshirt. I mean, I don't see a problem with people going to school in, like, pajamas. Pajamas are usually, like, yeah, sure, it's just pajamas. Well, I will respectfully disagree. Okay. I do not think people should be able to come to school in their pajamas, teachers or students, because clothing does communicate. It's really not self-contained. When we step out into a public space, our clothing is telling people things. Things we want to tell them, maybe things we don't want to tell them, but it's communicating. This, I'm stealing this from a listener who wrote us an email, mm-hmm. and I just thought clothing communicates was the best. But I've told you that before. What do I tell you about church? 
that we need to dress nice for reasons. Because it's a sacred space, and that's how we convey our respect right. for the sacred space. Now, school is not sacred, but in theory, it is a professional environment. You're there to do a job. They're there to do a job. They get paid. You don't, but you're getting something for free in education. So it does feel like we should communicate some level of respect for the space. And I think the overzealous dress codes are trying to do that. They're just trying to do it in the wrong way. Well, I, you know, I, I think it is complicated. I think the gendered critique is the strongest one um, because, it, it, you know, Griffin was saying his dress code has like six pages for girls and like a page for boys. That seems very unfair. Do you feel like yours is imbalanced like that, Jane? Exactly like that. Will you talk about some of what you've been telling me about the book that you've been reading to about because yours is in seam length, but some shorts rules are really silly because they they assume everybody's body proportions are the same. Can you talk about that a little bit? So I'm reading this book called Dress Coded, and I'm about halfway through it, and it's already made some strong points about, like, some girls have bigger parts of their bodies than others, and they two girls were wearing the exact same clothes, and one got Mm -hmm. dress coded because she was a bit bigger than the other one, even though they were wearing the exact same thing. And you were telling me about arm length. And just that's how it was when Beth. General. Is that how your school was, Beth? When yeah. we were growing up, it was arm length. Yeah, your your fingers had to touch your longest finger had to touch the the seam of your shorts when I was in school. Which so you know, people's thighs are different lengths, people's arms are different lengths. I definitely see uh, people at my school. I mean, and this isn't just a unique observation. I was walking down the hallway yesterday, and I heard something along the lines of like, "Well, you know, bigger girls get dress coded more because they're looking at them more because um. they're like." You feel like it's discrimination yeah. based on size, too. I think, yes, I think that they're, like, I'm not saying that they're, like, I don't think that the point they're looking at them more. I'm not sure that was a, what that person was trying to say. I think they were trying to say, like, they're paying more attention, if that makes any more, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And that might just be, like, invisible bias. That might be just. A lot of different things. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's always all a lot of different things. You have a, it's, it's nuance. Ah. The thing that your podcast is about. You know what I struggle with as a as a parent because I I agree with ninety nine percent of Jane's critiques of the dress code. I don't know how much to push on this issue because to Sarah's point, there are spaces where we expect people to dress a certain way and always will, and there are lots of things that that happen that accompany a job or being in an organization that you think, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. And and part of being an adult, I think, is just figuring out which of those do I fight about and which do I not? Because you do just have to tolerate some amount of this doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to go along with it anyway. So I wonder, you know, Griffin, especially since you took action on this issue, what made you think this is important enough that I want to say something about it? And Jane, I wonder how you're feeling about that after you've been in school for a couple of weeks and have more of a sense of how this is enforced. What made it important enough to you to kind of press on, Griffin? Um, what made it important, what made it important enough or what made me start or both? Both. I'll just do both. Um, what made it important enough was that I was seeing it like every single day, someone I knew or so, I mean, just someone I saw in the hallway was getting dress coded for something that was stupid or in my opinion, stupid, like short length or holes in the jeans or like how long the sleeves were on their shirt, which is really weird. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wait, this is dumb, and I don't like this. And so 
um, basically, I got on to my school computer and I went on to change.org and I did a petition and I wrote a pretty bad like outline draft. I did not agree. I disagree. It was not bad. It it was it was capitalized like a Donald Trump tweet. It's, it's the <laughs> Your reason, capitalization was problematic, but otherwise the it was very I good. Say it was bad, and I basically was just like, I don't like this. I I disagree with how this works, and I think that it should be changed. And then that took off some way, and I went. Home. Where are you at with that now? I've been a little disappointed. I feel like they. I, I was thinking the other day that I might email the principal and and say like, I feel like the message was. You can try, but no, no change is going to happen. And I don't want that the message. The, I don't want that to be the message you take away. I, it's, it's not the message I've been taking away from it. The message I've been taking away is that you need, you can't convince someone. The message I took away from that was basically like, you can't convince anyone by complaining, which is what I felt like I was doing, which I was complaining because I thought it was bad. And that didn't convince anyone because it was. A complaint, and they didn't like that. But you needed you needed yes. some you needed a request. I needed, not just a I needed a request, and I, I didn't that's a have very that. good takeaway. And I mean, the problem with that whole whole thing is that one, I don't feel like I tried hard enough, and I I probably should go back to SPDM, and I should keep going because I I shouldn't have just quit, which I did, and I feel bad about that, and I should keep going, which I think I'm going to do with the next. I haven't brought this up with you, but at the next SPDM, I'm going to go back. What's going to be your request? My request is that I think they just look into it and just like maybe a committee, maybe, but maybe with students on it. Yeah, for, for think, example. <laughs> yeah, I think that one, they should reevaluate the decisions they've been making, and two, they need to consult more than just the people who work there. Adults. The people who go there and have to go there. What do you think, Jane? You're brand new to your school. Is this something that you want to advocate for change on, or are you just going to kind of suck it up because there are other things that you think are more important? I feel like changing the dress code is important because people should dress how they feel, what they feel confident in. And like a lot of people in middle school struggle with being confident. And I feel like wearing what you want to wear and dressing how you want to dress puts a big impact on it. What do you think would be an effective way to start to communicate about that with your school? Have like a meet, get like a few of my friends and have a meeting with the principals about maybe possibly looking for a different, more fitting into society update on the Drisco. There's lots of good updates out there. We'll talk about that in the main segment, some of the changes some school districts and, and schools are working on. But for now, I think this is really good. Thanks, guys, for coming and talking to us. Thanks Thank for you. inviting me and letting me do my best here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, Jane. Thank you guys, too. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, 
Regency-era historical fiction and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. As we dive in more depth on dress codes, I think the first thing to remember is this is not a new issue. Dress codes are not new. They have been around as long as human society has been around, which is a long time. And they continue to be enforced by all types of institutions, schools, businesses, governments still. And I think it is fair to say that they are used to maintain status or the status quo. I mean, you saw a lot of restrictions uh, in the in the way back based on class. My favorite one I read about was like in the Elizabethan period, only only nobles could wear those big fancy collars. You couldn't, does anybody couldn't get a hold of those big fancy colors? They're also probably expensive, which is another way we maintain status. That's more fashion than dress codes. But 
They're used to maintain power and status quo, and lots of different groups have been targeted. Obviously, the institution and group we talk about with Griffin and Jane are school dress codes that disproportionately target girls. I think that history is so important because I want to make sure that our educators listening do not feel like this is another set of complaints or attacks Mm -hmm. coming their way. Uh, The reason to talk about dress codes on a political podcast is because we're communicating a whole lot about power to young people through the policies that surround them at school. That can be true and exist alongside the fact that a lot of administrators have no opportunity to change the school dress code. Like this isn't about individual decision making. It's about kind of societal expectations and how they get translated through policy. I wanted to mention you and Griffin used the term SBDM a couple of times in our conversation. Oh, right. That yes. is a a governance structure in Kentucky, our school boards function a little bit like the CFO of the infrastructure of the school district. So busing services, the budget, staffing resources are allocated. But the policymaking and the curriculum planning all happens at the local level through site-based decision-making councils. That's what SBDM stands for. So Again, not an attack on principals because a lot of our principals hate the dress codes that they are tasked with enforcing. It's a collection of parents and teachers who are making some of those decisions. And I, I just like you setting us up in that, in that history and larger context so that we can remember this isn't more dumping on educators. In particular, when we talk about gender, this does not just happen in school settings. There's all kinds of, you know, arguably discriminatory (laughs) dress code policies and works in governments. I mean, lest we forget, it wasn't until 2017 that you could wear a sleeveless dress or open-toed shoes on the floor of the House of Representatives. This is the most interesting one I read about when I was doing the research for this episode. In 2004, the Ninth Circuit upheld a lower court's ruling that Harris Casino in Las Vegas could require staff to wear lipstick. Stop it. Lipstick. And they're like, it's not discriminatory <laughs> that you have to wear lipstick. And, of course, I mean, some of these even at the school level are enforced by state law. There's like 28 states that have laws on the book governing school dress code policies regarding women. I mean, Arkansas is like prohibits the wearing of clothing that exposes underwear, buttocks, or the breast of a female. What part of the breast, friends? <laughs> Like, that's, that is vague. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing. It's like, when you talk about, and we're going to talk about other groups targeted in a minute, but when you talk about dress codes, school, business, government, otherwise, that target women, there are so many problems. Beginning with why, what's the why behind this policy? And often it is conveyed in terms of distraction. It is distracting to the men around these women if they dress in these ways. Jane gets very fired up about this, much more so than you heard in the first segment. It turns out that our children find microphones somewhat intimidating, (laughs) Uh, understandably so. But she gets really upset about this. Um, And for a lot of reasons, you know, She is really sensitive to LGBT issues and the way that, Mm -hmm. like, 
all of this exists in a universe that she doesn't exist in anymore. You know, she has so many friends who are non-binary, bisexual, like she, this feels so dated to her in so many respects. Mm. The idea that if she has on a tank top and a boy happens to see her bra strap, he has an urge that is beyond his control and hers. Like, she's like, what are you talking about? And I think that's really fair. And a conversation that adults are super uncomfortable having and reluctant to have, but we're doing such a disservice to the landscape that these kids operate in by not being willing to go there with them. Well, I think the the why behind the policy is problematic. I think the enforcement of these policies is hugely problematic. There was a high school that was enforcing a dress code at prom, and they took the girls outside and made them bend over in front of the teachers, they were crying, like touching their toes without tugging the dresses down. Like if I was a parent of a girl who was forced to bend over in front of adults, I would lose my ever loving mind. I would like that. And like the, well, it's so-and-so inches. Well, are you, are you going to go around measuring their thighs and then dividing by two? Like, what do we, What's the, especially if it's a a policy around inseams, which I think is unfortunately sort of the most objective they can, they can get to, but are like, who's, who's going to measure the inseam and who's going to pull them out of class? And are you going to disrupt their learning for this? You're going to disrupt their learning in pursuit of learning not being disrupted. Can everybody see the irony here? Well, and I will say as a person who has done HR work and had to talk to people about personal issues, like you're not dressing professionally enough or you're wearing a fragrance that's too intense for the people around you or or whatever, adults are terrible at communicating with other adults about those kinds of topics. Adults who have training to have those conversations, it is still miserable and hard. Do we honestly want our school staff to have to do this when they're trying to do everything else that needs to be done in the course of a day in the life of a a middle schooler. I don't think, I don't think we do. And in my short time subbing, what I've noticed is that it's this very difficult situation in which there is a, there's a need for discipline, whether it's dress code, whether it's behavior and also The disciplining itself sets off this domino effect of frustration and emotion and reactivity and defensiveness. And it's like you can just see everybody shut down. I'm sure this is the same exact thing in workplaces. And and at the same time, it can't just be a free-for-all. Like there has to be boundaries. There has to be rules. And it's also like in the forcing of these rules is just such a chaos magnet. That is the question that I have, because I'm not trying to sit here saying there should be no standards for how people dress when they come to school. I just wonder what the balance is between setting a standard that's useful to everyone um, and spending so much time upholding that standard that it starts to be self-defeating. What I experience when I walk into a school, whether I'm there to sub or just dropping something off or whatever, is sensory overload. I just feel, even in our exceptionally well-run school, and I mean that, I have very few complaints about the elementary school that my daughters have attended. I'm learning about the middle school, but I am extremely impressed with it so far. Even in our very well-run school, it is so loud. 
There are mm-hmm. so many bodies. There are so many colors. There's It is overwhelming to me from a sensory perspective. It feels like chaos, even though I know that the chaos is organized and there are a lot of protocols around it. And I also appreciate that adding even more protocols gets to a point where you're telling kids that they have to be at level zero all the time, and that doesn't work. you got to have some chaos, right, and let them be. So I wonder, sometimes I think, would uniforms help just to calm some of that sensory overload? Jane hates it when I bring up uniforms. She thinks that is the ultimate worst decision that could be made here. Um but that's my question. What helps calm some of that chaos and would a, a dress code that brings that sensory lo- sensory load down also bring down some of the other issues that might creep up in the course of a day? I don't know the answer to that. I want to get to that. I want to get to the more specifics of school dress codes. But before we move on, I do want to make clear that dress codes at school and other places don't just target girls and women. Right. There's a lot of targeting. There's a lot of racial targeting around hairstyles that has been much reported on. And and importantly, is not it's not like we've resolved it. We have not fixed it. There are still girls and women of many ethnic groups being targeted because of their hairstyles, which I don't even understand. I can't I can't I can get there with you on skirts and some other stuff. How you think a hairstyle is disruptive? I struggle. I really struggle to see the reasoning there, um, but it definitely happens. And then, of course, we have LGBT, non-binary. Oh, you're being you're not dressing for your assigned gender. Then you're getting dress coded, which again is arguably discriminatory and outrageous, in my personal opinion. Then you have dress codes that target religious groups. I mean, there is a worldwide debate on the hijab. And I listened to a really interesting interview where one sister was on one side of the issue and one sister was on the other side of the issue. And as far as like legally requiring the hijab and how it's treated and she and you know the the sister who was opposed said like my mother wears it. I want to stand side by side with her. I just want it to be a choice. I want to be mm-hmm. able to decide, which I think is the undercurrent of a lot of this. I want to be able to decide for myself. I don't want someone else telling me about this very personal decision. I also thought, you know, with regards, I think, to the discussion around the hijab, I think it's a really fascinating conversation in Europe where you you see governments trying to prevent people from wearing the hijab, which I think strikes America is so, Americans in particular, is so sort of outrageous. And you know what really helped me think through that was Rick Steves' book, where he talks about Rousseau versus Locke and the way we're very individualized and the way we see society and our role inside of it. And they're very group oriented. And so I think, well, that kind of makes sense how we would see that differently, how they're they feel like they're protecting the group and they're protecting their culture and they see the hijab as a threat. We are very individualized and we are out. Why would you restrict someone's individual decision like that? And I think that's honestly the undercurrent to a lot of this conversation around dress codes. Are we talking about the group are we talking about the individual? Are we talking about the world we want to live in? Are we talking about the world we do live in? And some of those standards, again, are very dated. You know, we've come a long way on this issue. But when I started work as a lawyer, one of my colleagues um, was a, a man and he had an earring that he removed every day before work. And oh, put my back gosh. On after work Every day because he was concerned about how that would be perceived in the workplace. And again, I think we've come a long way. But when you talk about religious expression, I think we have a real 
uh, conversation that needs to happen around how many Americans have a spirituality that is unconnected to a faith. And if I'm if I ask you to cover up your tattoos and several of your tattoos mm. have your kids' names and or or something of deep meaning to you, a memorialization of someone who who you love, how close am I walking to that free expression line about what's meaningful to you here in the universe? I just it does seem to me that much of what we have talked about as professional is so rooted in concepts that have dramatically evolved that we need to re- regroup. Yeah. And also, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably lean a little more European, a little more Russo. I do think it's important to think about not just your individual expression, but the effect it has on the group. We had a listener send us an incredible email. She worked in a middle school, and she used the phrase, clothing always communicates. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use that all the time because it does. It always communicates. And it feels like a lot of times we have this conversation and the argument is, well, it shouldn't. Well, I'm sorry. It does. Like, even if you choose to walk naked, that is a communication. If you choose to only dress in comfortable clothes, you are communicating your priorities. We are social creatures that is in the very structure, in our very cells, in our psychology, all we are so social. And because we are, the way we appear to one another is communicating constantly, constantly. And so I do get frustrated when the undercurrent of the argument is, it's just my choice, it shouldn't matter to you. Because I think that is unrealistic and sort of just not based in how we behave as human beings. And that part bugs me. So I, I don't, I want to have a conversation about individual expression, but I do want to always keep present that clothing does communicate. It does communicate. It. And so because it does, in certain places and pl- certain places in institutions, there should be boundaries and rules. We had a one of my favorite conversations we've ever had between the two of us was way back in the day on The Nuance Life, and we talked about church clothes. And I really worked some stuff out there. I felt like I clarified a lot of things because I feel strongly about church clothes. I, like, I don't want to see someone's hairy armpits in a cut-off T-shirt at a funeral visitation. I don't. I don't. I think that's disrespectful. And so I, I am more comfortable with boundaries around this because I do think there is that communication constantly going on. I think there's communication constantly going on, and you can tell that we're hungry for that by Mm -hmm. the prolific wearing of T-shirts with very aggressive messaging on them. So, I mean, you can tell that people want their clothing to communicate, and I don't think there's anything Mm -hmm. wrong with that. I am much less interested in the the group standards than you are in almost every setting. And that is a turn for me. I was asked to and did with a lot of intensity work on professional dress in my workplace when I first moved into an HR role. And I look back and I think you were in the wrong here. That you you handled this wrong. You should have argued about this more because we aren't just talking about societal communication and individual choices. We are also talking a lot about people's bodies, the type of clothing yeah. that is available to them, just what they can get access to yep. depending on the shape of their yep. bodies. We are talking about disabilities. 
you know, we are talking about, I, I don't dress exactly as I would like to, in part because getting things in my size is difficult, but in part because I have fibromyalgia and clothes hurt. Really structured mm. clothes are extremely difficult for me to wear for more than an hour. They just are. And so there's just a lot that plays into this conversation. Those are only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what informs how someone has been socialized to dress and and what is actually available to them. I would always rather somebody come to a funeral in a cutoff shirt than not come to the funeral. That's where I sit on these issues. How you translate that into a number of different settings, the military, the halls of Congress, a workplace, a school, those are very thorny questions because I am not saying there should be no standards. I just think finding a standard that takes into account everything that swirls around this and shows genuine respect for people where they are is challenging. Well, here's where I think I've come to on this. The issue is not the group standard. The issue is who sets the standard. And if the standard comes on high with no participation from said group, we have a problem. It's how the process concludes at a standard, more than it is the standard itself, right? The problem with the dress code at Capitol Hill was not that we want to say we have no code for this very important place. Because I think post-January 6th, probably most of us could agree, we want to signal in every way possible that this is a sacred, important place. The problem is that women hadn't participated in those rules because there weren't a lot of women around when they were setting them. So it's like, I think that's the issue, right? It's like, it's it's the process that we get at the group standard. Not that we shouldn't have any group standards. Not that we shouldn't acknowledge that we do have to balance individual expression and communicating to the group, right? And I think that that balance is hard. I think that balance is a trap. I think it's a double bind for women. Don't be too frumpy. Don't be too sexy. And really what we want is for you to just constantly be second-guessing yourself. And to be attractive while you second-guess yourself. Be confident, powerful, and attractive while you second-guess yourself. (laughs) Yep, yep. It's just like constantly keeping you off kilter. I think that's true for racial groups too. Well, and and to be fair, I think men feel that pressure now too. I I think that the this conversation has evolved to a place where where men are second guessing their their bodies, what they wear, their choices, their fashion, uh, and feeling weird about that, even as they do. I, I think it's tricky for everybody right now. And I think what I find the most powerful is instead of fighting the idea that our clothing does communicate, when people reclaim it, when they take that power and use it themselves. One of my favorite things I read while researching this episode was an article about the well-dressed movement at Syracuse University. It was led by some black male students there. I think Kwame Phipps was one of the lead, and they accidentally dressed up. He had an interview. His his roommate had an interview, and everybody was like, why are you both dressed up? And they're like, well-dressed Wednesday. They just like took it. And they felt like we're doing something very purposeful here. Like we are dressing nicely to push back against stereotypes. I heard an interesting conversation about the civil rights movement and when they would sit at the lunch tables, when the activists would sit at the lunch tables, the way they dressed. And there's some people that are like, well, that's playing to respectability politics. And I heard a historian that was like, no, they were claiming the power. Because at certain points in segregation, a black person could get in trouble for dressing nicely. Like that was a threat to white supremacy. And so to reclaim that and to say like, We will communicate that we are human beings 
worthy of dignity and respect through our clothing. I think that's incredibly powerful. And so to like do that, and I don't think it always has to be like dressing nicely is the only way to do that. I think there are lots of very clever, amazing ways people use fashion to communicate all manner of things. I think that's why fashion deserves respect and the way we dress deserves the way we talk about it. Like it is a it is a subject worthy of conversation and respect because it is a powerful thing in lots of different ways. And so when people take that and like understand it and use it in a way that is so like just clever, I love I love it. I love it so much. Well, and I love it when that has a playful component. One of the most well-adjusted human beings that I know is deeply into cosplay. Like deeply, huh? deeply into it. And I think there's something to that. There is an outlet for this type mm-hmm. of communication and expressive. It's purposeful. It's celebrated. There's an artistry about it. How many of us have opportunities like that? I think prom, this is this is my hot take for the day. I think prom is wasted on teenagers. It's a lot of Word. pressure. It's a lot of opportunity to get in trouble. It's a lot of opportunity. Lots somebody else's money. Apparently for some adults to make really <laughs> bad choices too. But like, I, I I think adults really need outlets like that. You get to a place where you're not going to many weddings anymore because everybody's <laughs> kind of settled in that, in that respect. You don't have many places to get dressed up and feel fancy for a night. And a lot of us need that opportunity. I think there was a reason we used to have lots of masquerades and that something mm-hmm. would be gained by bringing things like that back in a more mainstream way. I wonder if we had more opportunities for adults to really dress specifically if we could like back off these aggressive t-shirts. I I don't like the aggressive t-shirts. I don't like the aggressive t-shirts. Yeah. And if you're arguing that this doesn't matter, tell me it didn't matter when Michelle Obama walked down that inaugural staircase in pants at Joe Biden's inauguration in that long coat. Give me a break. Everybody went, <gasps> the whole entire country went, <gasps> you know, like it just, it is incredibly powerful. And I think it is more powerful when you're choosing it within the boundaries or you're playing with the rules in a really interesting way to sort of ask questions. And I think you're right. Like, I think adults need that. And again, the T-shirt, not not a fan. I'm not a fan of it. Well, and how how am I reasonably going to say to my kids, you can't wear a tank top to school, but you can go in any public space and see an adult with a very offensive word plastered across their chest. I mean, it's, we have, I I don't want to outlaw that, of course, free expression, blah, blah, blah. I would just like us to use better judgment because it it's that's yep. out of control. Yeah. And I don't I'm not afraid think, about language, but like that's out of control. Well, and also that's why that's the same that's pretty much the only rule everyone can agree on when we talk about school dress codes is like no offensive language on your shirts. Like we're tr- we're telling them that and we're showing them something different. That's right. And or public, violent imagery. Like, we ask them to not be violent and these shirts yep. are they're violent often. Yep. Well, and so as we we wrap this up, we go back around to school dress codes. Worth noting, not a lot of great science or evidence-based conclusions on the impact of dress codes or uniforms, for that matter, which is pretty interesting. We'll put links in the show notes to some of these studies. Um, And, you know, we have a broadly protected right to free speech, but the court has said, like, you don't really have it as broadly inside a school building. And it's so interesting because it's so reactionary, right? Like in the 60s, it was long hair. And in the like in the 70s, it was mini skirts. And like you can just trace these sort of trends and reactions 
through school dress codes. And you have those issues of who can afford it, you know, that they're in, that there's inconsistent. I mean, to me, that's like some of the undercurrent of all these conflicts of dress codes is because you can always look a couple districts over and find a different approach. It's not like there's any consistency to point to. But there are some school districts, I think, doing really good work and finding some solutions. I read an article about Roanoke County Public Schools held up as a model. Again, they involved the people being policed in the process. It was a very democratic process. Parents got involved. Kids got involved. They voted to approve it. It was like 59% approved it. They kept the part about like no offensive language, all that. And then they have a diagram that's like, here's what needs to be covered. It's a very gender neutral diagram. It's like you have to have straps. You have to have a three to four inch inseam. We can't, we don't want to see any like, and they just marked it out again. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can see it. And I thought like, there are people cracking this nut, right? They're out here trying to say like, how can we keep this as gender neutral and as um, sort of focused on really what we want to do, which is prevent the offensive language, keep the body parts covered because we don't want to allow kids to come to school. I can understand why a tube top actually would cre- create a combative environment and a chaos environment when people can't always keep their hands to themselves. So, you know, I think that that there people are out there doing the work. I don't think this is just something where we have to throw our heads up and be like, let's just keep having conversations about it. Like people are putting policies in place that I think are good. And just to acknowledge, it's complicated work. For all the reasons that we've discussed, if you get into jurisprudence around schools, courts have a really hard time deciding what school is for purposes Mm -hmm. of of making any kind of decision about what you're entitled to at school, what your rights are at school. It is complicated to have compulsory education, but actually you don't all have to go to a school, but actually once you're in the school, you have some rights, but you don't have others, and you're kind of an adult, but you're not an adult. It is very hard. So no disrespect to anybody who is who is in the thorny middle of this because it's a lot. Speaking of a lot, speaking of fashion choices, communicating things. Up next, outside of politics, we are going to talk about Don't Worry Darling and the drama at the Venice Film Festival. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. 
their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. You have seen so many headlines playing on the words, don't worry, darling, or mentioning Chris Pine, Olivia Wilde, Harry Styles, or Florence Pugh. And you are like, what is happening? We are here for you. We are here for you at Pansy Politics. We're going to cover We're going to We're going to get through the basics real fast because we think there's lots of interesting things going on here. But if you're starting from zero, don't worry, darling. It's a psychological thriller about a 1950s housewife whose life is not what it seems. It's coming out, I think, in a couple weeks premiered at the Venice Film Festival. It is directed by Olivia Wilde. She is an actress-turned-director. Her first film, Booksmart, highly recommend. It's hilarious. It was great. It earned a ton of praise. And so this is her highly anticipated second film. It's a very different type of movie than Booksmart. Okay. When they first announced it, Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, and Chris Pine were said to have starred. Okay. But then pretty quickly, Shia LaBeouf is replaced by Harry Styles. Okay. I'm going to argue over the course of this quick timeline that Olivia Wilde made some unforced errors. I think this is the first one. Olivia Wilde breaks up with Jason Sudeikis, who she has two kids with. Whatever, that's fine. But she begins a relationship with Harry Styles, her new leading man who replaced Shia LaBeouf. She gets served with custody papers during an appearance for the film. She does several interviews talking about being being served with the custody papers and claiming that she fired Shia LaBeouf, because he was involved in some accusations of domestic abuse, he then shares screenshots and says, that is not what happened. I wasn't fired. And here's the screenshots to prove it. That's the second unforced error, in my opinion. Can I interject interject one piece on your timeline? Yes. I think it is significant in understanding what unfolds from here that in some of those interviews, she talks about this like she has replaced him 
in order to protect Florence Pugh. Like she has this real, mm-hmm. I was taking care of and looking out for Florence Pugh in making this decision. And that unfolds poorly from here. Yeah. Florence Pugh was like, you were not, don't bring me into this. This was not what happened. Okay. So then they go to the Venice Film Festival. Florence Pugh does not come to the press conference about the movie. She's never really together with Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde is also never photographed next to Harry Styles. Lots of questions about her feud with Olivia Wilde. Florence Pugh makes some fashion choices that are very declaratory, I would I would argue. Which is her vibe. Um, That's not to, out of her character vibe. for her. No. There's a hilarious moment where people think Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. He did not. This, this was kind of silly. I don't even know why we decided they were feuding. I don't think there was a lot of reason for that. But anyway... Lots and lots and lots and lots of drama around this film and Olivia Wilde, Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, Harry Styles, Chris Pine. Lots and lots of celebrity gossip. And the internet has just been eating it up with a spoon. I wondered if it would be helpful to say, before we talk about this any further, who are you naturally inclined to like in this? If if you knew nothing about all of this. Who in this cast would you be like, oh, I, I love that person or I don't particularly care for that person? Well, I think the first images that came out of the film festival were Chris Pine, like popping off photography shots of Florence Pugh, like a proud dad, which was adorable. I also think he's pretty charming. But I will say this now before we get into the Olivia Wilde Florence Pugh situation. I have been trained well by Anne Helen Peterson to question constantly who I'm identifying with in a celebrity gossip situation. Because what we're doing here is working out our own shit. I'm always in forever when we're talking about celebrities. So I like Florence Pugh a great deal. I think she's sassy in a way I enjoy. But I always check myself to think, like, especially when two female celebrities are involved. Wait, what am I doing here? Let me let me question my motives. So my biases are, number one, I cannot imagine being in a public decoupling from the guy who plays Ted Lasso. I think yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I am I am inclined to feel some uh, empathy and grace there. I also really like Florence Pugh. I liked her in the Scarlet Widow movie, but I came oh, yeah. to be a big fan of hers watching Hawkeye, the series. Did you watch that one? Yep. Okay. She's great in it. I did not enjoy that series really at all, except for the moments that she was on camera. I thought she ran away with that. And I feel like she projects such charisma, such a boss energy. I don't care about what anyone thinks. I'm doing my thing that I have to believe that she's just like that as a human because it, it comes across so strongly on camera. So those are kind of my biases. I think Chris Pine is fine. I don't have any feelings about Shia LaBeouf whatsoever or Harry Styles other than I think Harry Styles is fascinating. Yeah, I love Harry Styles. I think he's fascinating. I think Shia LaBeouf is problematic and has been for a long time. But here's the thing. couple things. Big picture. I love this. I think celebrity gossip is great. I think we work out things. I love this celebrity gossip in particular because it is low stakes. No one is addicted to drugs. No one is harming themselves. No one is harming each other. Like, it's just, it's pretty basic stuff. Like, there's nothing too hardcore going on here. I do think Olivia Wilde made several unforced errors. I do. I really don't think she should have gone on and on about being served papers. I think her and Jason Sudeikis' breakup is clearly uh, full of animosity, which I happens to the best of us. But if you are the director and you, first of all, I think there is probably some sexism. 
But if you are the director of a movie, having an affair with your leading actor is a gamble under any circumstances, okay? And so if that's a gamble you choose to make, then the decisions you make after that need to be very careful. And especially in her interviews, I don't think they've been very careful. I think doing the thing she did around Shia LaBeouf was, when he's such a live wire, was like, again, just lots of errors. I think some of this has been so public and not very careful that there's a part of me that's like, uh, we're doing this on purpose. Did we decide that this was a really good strategy and just everybody said, OK, I'll go with that. I mean, I, I'm skeptical mm-hmm. of how how much of this is real and how much of it is get, keeping us talking about this movie that people say is not that great. I don't The only thing I'm I'm sort of skeptical about is I. There's a real authenticity to me about how Florence Pugh is responding it's ballsy to not show up at the press conference. That was some choices. You had to go through a lot of people and be like, I'm not coming. People were like, you have to come. I'm not coming. And so to me, it's like she got pushed pretty far to do that because she's had a star run, but she's not Tom Cruise. You know what I'm saying? Like she's using some capital here. But she's gaining some capital. She's gaining it, but she's spending some too, you know? And so to me, it's like, now, she might have just decided it's worth it. She made some, again, sartorial choices that very clearly indicate that she thinks it's worth it. Her bo- clothing choices at Venice were bold and had a real, real vibe um, that I dug for what it's worth. But to me, it's like still there's a lot of machinery when you talk about movie making at this level and a lot of machinery you would have to fight to make the choice to like not come to the Q&A and do that kind of stuff and know that everybody's going to report on it and now, again, maybe she's read enough to reviews to know that the only people think people are reviewing well is her performance <laughs> and thought, I got some capital to spend here. And now I know she's in Dune 2, which is supposedly the reason she couldn't come, even though Timothee was there. Super excited that she's going to be in Dune 2. I didn't even know that. I think what is fascinating about this is why did this hit? Because this could have easily happened and, and not everybody talk about it for days. And I feel like because this is low stakes, as you said, we all kind of went, oh, good. I needed something oh, low stakes. I needed something low stakes. I needed something gossipy. I needed something a little catfighty because we are working so hard and wearing each other out so much with trying to be perfect in a lot of our communications. And I don't begrudge us that effort. We needed that effort. It's good. We are trying to be less mean to each other. We are trying to bring the drama down uh, in a lot of spaces. But there is this piece of our brains, I think, that just needs it. So, like, we just need the drama sometimes. And this is a a pretty easy way, especially if they're in on it, which now they are, right? Like, whatever happens yeah, yeah. from here, they are in on it one way or another. Yeah. And so you kind of feel like, okay, well, this is a soap opera for me. Hooray. Let me get some popcorn and Yeah, watch Harry it. Styles is cracking jokes at his concerts about spitting on Chris Pine. I will say, I think part of the reason it hit is is deservedly laid at Chris Pine's feet because he was making faces. He was being meme-worthy, left, right, and center, taking pictures of her in the press conference, in the junkets. And so, like, some of it, I think, is just that he his face and the way he was acting was stinking hilarious. And so I think that's a big reason, in combination with how strong her fashion choices were, that just lined the stars aligned, and people were like, oh, it's all here. I love it so much. Also, they're all beautiful, fun to look at, which never hurts. And, I, you know, I don't I, I don't love the cat fighty part of it. I, I think that that is one of the most harmful aspects of celebrity gossip culture um, that is particularly hard on women. And I wish that 
we could keep the parts that help us work through societal stuff and not do the parts that are hard on the individuals. This may be going back to the conversation we had on more to say about royalty, but I just think that that part I don't love. And I hope that Olivia Wilde, I wish the best for her. You know, I think she is a good director. I think Booksmart is wonderful. And I hate, I like her and I like Jason Sudeikis. I think they're both great artists. I hope they're not miserable and making each other miserable. And I hope the best for their kids because these are real people who had a real relationship and had two children together. And I want the best for them professionally and personally. And so I hope she has the presence of mind to sort of see her way through this and laugh about it ultimately. I guess what I'm saying is I just hope that Olivia Wilde has the best Don't Worry Darlene premiere (laughs) available to her at this point. May they all. May they all. Well, before we wrap up, we do want to say thank you so much for all your amazing feedback on our episode about quiet quitting and our interview with Rick Steves. As always, if you love an episode of Pantsuit Politics, please share it with someone in your life. It's how we grow the show. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Bettons! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. I'm really... Give me a second. (laughs) I'm not very good at this. (laughs) I don't do this a lot, believe it or not. I don't have a podcast. I don't talk to a lot of people all the time. It's okay. I'm noticing that Jane is a lot more talkative and opinionated when we're not in front of the microphone, too. (laughs) Imagine that. I mean, I know that when I talk to someone at dinner, it's not going to be on the internet in front of a million people and if I ever talk if I, I mean well this is not live so we can edit out whatever you I want know, to say I know I just mean like my points will go out onto the internet and they will follow me for when I use the internet in the future <laughs> you want us to time you want us to time this episode to expire when you turn 18 yeah when it's turn 18 it, it goes away like um <laughs> cultural reference goes here <laughs>